0: Sometimes I like, I like to like try and work in some kind of quote with the movie, but I can't remember. I didn't write down any quotes this
1: time. Oh, I, I have a quote. Remember. I have a favorite quote. Hit me. Yeah. Digging to meet the dead, which sounds really morbid, <laughs> but it's, it's also really true. Yeah. yeah. For sure. That's
0: exactly it. Hello, and welcome to Movies We Dig, the podcast where we talk about film, antiquity, and everything in between. I'm Colin McCormick.
2: And I'm Elijah Fleming.
0: And today we're joined by another special guest we're really excited about. Uh, we're here with Dr. Christy Vogler, who is currently the assistant professor, in assistant professor of history at the University of Lynchburg, and she is the co-director of the Ganjavecchio Archaeological Project. So Christy, wonderful to have you.
1: Yeah, it's really nice to be here. I'm excited to talk about this movie
0: today. I'm excited too because this is even though the, the the our podcast is ostensibly movies we dig. This is really <laughs> our first like actual archaeological movie. That's mostly my fault for just sort of
1: no. We, we t- we, we, I,
2: I think it's the film industry's fault. I argue that this is like one of the first films really about archaeology that exists. And I Indiana that, Jones doesn't count. Okay, no, I've said that to no. Nick, and he's like, "What about Indiana Jones?" And I'm like, "Does Indiana Jones dig a hole ever?"
0: And We were talking about that. I think I was talking about this with with, with Tracy, my my partner, and, and and or maybe it was you, Eli. I'm trying to remember who I was talking because there's oh, yeah, only like three people I talked to.
1: The
2: Egyptians yeah. were digging he, the he hole gets, for him.
0: He, yeah, he gets like <laughs> a bunch of locals to dig the hole for him, uh, which I guess also kind of happens in this movie, but
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the history of archaeology, especially during this time period. It starts off as a really exploitive practice where so many unnamed individuals who are actually doing the digging never get mentioned by name. So what's like one thing that's really interesting is probably one of the first scientific excavations conducted was in the United States by Thomas Jefferson. Probably Hmm. never realized he was an archaeologist. He was
0: everything, right? He is like, you know, he like teaches himself French and botany and paleontology.
1: (laughs) Yep. Yep. And um, he was interested in excavating the mounds from a cultural group known as the mound builders at the time. But the actual people excavating those mounds were his slaves. So some of the earliest diggers are nameless. Of Mm. course. Of course.
0: I, I just if you look and they kind of have it a little bit in this movie but if you if you see like photographs of like old archaeological dig particularly in places like Athens or or in Egypt or something like that there's always like like the archaeologist who's there in like i I'm thinking of like Arthur Evans or a guy
2: yeah. like that oh, yeah. you <laughs> know
0: like standing there in kind of like a perfectly white suit while there's like all these people just you know with spades and shovels all around him but yeah we let's be yeah um I guess we we can start we'll start with our guest first but because this isn't this is obviously also a new movie, which is another first for us. But but Christy, yeah, how do you dig this movie?
1: Yeah, I so dig this movie. Um, I think I so I have a friend group with Laj where we met at Vecchio on a dig together, and have another friend who also worked on the dig. And I think I was the first in our friend group to come across the the preview for the dig mm-hmm. that I shared with everyone. And I must have watched it like five to 10 times before <laughs> it finally came out. And I teared up every single time because just just the preview of like seeing archaeology depicted in a realistic way and then getting the emotion right. Like, why do we dig? Like, why do we take on bad pay, hard labor? What is the point? And Two
0: pounds a week or whatever it was.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, no. And I think even as a grad student, you're paying people to <laughs> have the pleasure to go and dig. And it's like, yeah. it, there must be something to it that really speaks to you, that you're willing to put up with all of that. And I the, I think the movie caught that really well with the character of Basil.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I agree. Yeah, I,
2: I also really, really dig this movie. And I think it, it made me feel a lot of feels about our field and especially having not been in the field uh, this past summer and how for so many of us that was really such a devastating blow and then all of the excitement and the atmosphere of this movie yeah really really brought out all of those feelings for me so for sure I I
1: dig it. Yeah it wasn't even just all the positive feelings you get from digging it's also like the negative and like i'm going to use so many curse words right now because something that's is- okay
0: yeah i i think i i bleed out the f-bomb but that's about okay. it and that's usually about as bad as we get
1: okay. um- <laughs> archaeology we drop all of the f-bombs and other words because i think like the first visceral reaction i had in the movie is when they find just a, a piece of wood like a board mm-hmm. and they're like okay <laughs> we're gonna lift it on three <laughs> and they go to pick it up and it crumbles and like yeah. to me I felt that like there's yeah. been so many moments where something that lasted for thousands of years just crumbles in your hand and
0: have you I, I suppose I, I maybe you shouldn't I, you shouldn't ask but have you ever like broken anything
1: oh yeah Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> you can't help it sometimes.
0: <laughs> oh wow. Uh, I used to work at before before graduate school, I used to work in an art gallery and it was kind of this like the secret that like everybody like breaks a painting at least once or like, you know, <laughs> drops drops something. It's it, hopefully it's not something too bad. Like I like chipped a frame. I knew a guy who dropped like a forty thousand dollar vase once, but Jeez.
2: <laughs> no um.
1: Nope. <laughs> well the, the worst we had at Vecchio, unfortunately is that a, a student put a pickaxe through a human skull not once but twice because
0: that's like literally the the arrested development because i was gonna bring it that is. up like that when they're digging and everyone's like like brushing away and then buster just <laughs> smashes through
1: <laughs> it happens unfortunately it, it does so like well, yeah
0: there was oh uh, i mean one of the another like probably relatable experiences is if you go particularly i'm thinking like when there's like little local museums sort of all over the Mediterranean, like in places like italy and they just have stuff just kind of like hanging out and I'd be, you know, when we were, when I was like a, a student and things and we'd be visiting and I like, if people have got like my, my nightmare was, I was going to like turn around and my backpack was going to like knock a vase off or something <laughs> like that. And once I'm trying to remember where we were, but they had this. It was like a fourth-century sarcophagus where, like, the top had kind of broken, and you could see inside. And there was like, so, like, you view it on the ground level, and then there's also a balcony you go up to to, like, look down. You can look inside the sarcophagus and see the bones. And one of the students in my class with me, she like dropped her, like, basically her, um, like clipboard. Oh my gosh! And it like missed the sarcophagus by like an inch, but like some papers <laughs> flew out, and like you could feel like everybody hold their breath as the piece of paper like wafted down and like like i was like we're all like afraid because like is it gonna go in the hole like with the (laughs) skeletons oh Oh, yeah our professor told us the worst thing that he ever saw was actually in in rome at the um the museum of roman civilization where they have that giant model that and i were actually just talking about in our episode that i still need to edit but a professor told us one of the students once like like dropped a binder or something like onto the model and like squished a whole section of Rome. Oh, my gosh. Uh,
2: <laughs> oh, no, that's not good. Yeah. Best kept secret is that bad things happen and sometimes you can't <laughs> stop it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Archaeology is a destructive uh, discipline and uh, sometimes more so than others. So
2: yeah, that
0: actually I, I want to like actually come back to that in a second because I had questions about. The current state of this site and like sites in general but the, for just a like my first sort of question is well no there's a couple of things so this i don't even know where i want to begin because yeah let's get on like just the the, the feels about archaeology because like this this movie has a lot of like like particularly from basil as the character that kind of like he does a lot of like why we have why we do this moment but then also like framed against edith perry who's sort of She's sort of thinking about all this in relationship to her own sort of impending, like she's sort of mortally, mortal like she's unwell. She she she's gonna die very soon, so she's kind of thinking about like, you know, being buried or being dug up or like legacy and history and things like that. So I wonder, yeah, what, what do you guys thought about that?
1: Yeah, I think one of the big struggles that Edith's character has is. You know, she's questioning, and this is something archaeologists deal with, no matter where they go, is kind of cultural ideas of respecting the dead, because Mm -hmm. she keeps bringing up, it's like, this is someone's graveyard. This is, you know, what would that individual have wanted people Mm -hmm. thousands of years later to dig them up? I, um, My mom is... Once she knew the field I was in, she has made a point of telling me, she's like, I'm going to be cremated. There's not going to be some archaeologists years from now, like digging up my body and coming up with some weird conclusions. (laughs) And, you know, when you're actually dealing with your own mortality and trying to think of what, what kind of legacy you leave behind, you know, she's kind of rich. And so she gets to leave this legacy behind of all of this stuff was found on my property. So it's going to the British Museum. And that's that's kind of a cool way to be remembered. but mm-hmm. so many people don't have that, and how we remember them, they're usually nameless, but their their actual physical remains or their material culture they leave behind. We get to know them again. That's why I like that quote. We're digging to meet the dead because that's that is really what we're doing.
2: Yeah. I really enjoyed the sort of, I guess overarching theme of just mortality. Because even before they like really dig into the first or second mound, it's like we see Edith going to her husband's grave. Mm -hmm. And there is this sort of, I guess, fragility of life with the sort of overhanging war or impending, you know, violence Mm -hmm. um, and mortality coming in. And so I really appreciated this sort of, at least the perspective of the characters, at least sort of thinking about themselves in sort of digging up the past and seeing themselves in someone else's graveyard as Basil says it at one point point. and i think that so many times <laughs> archaeology movies i'm thinking indiana jones don't have that connection
0: yeah like like a skeleton will pop out and you exactly. will just like pick it up and like chuck it you know it's just like a, it's a it's a gag thing yeah when, like, the, I think at the
2: beginning of the mummy screams. yeah when like the mm-hmm. skeleton pops up So I think there's so much respect for the material in this movie in a way that really reflects how real archaeologists try very hard to respect the material, especially when we deal with cemeteries or graves that we were either planning to encounter or did not plan to encounter and sort of bringing all of that respect always in our work. Mm -hmm. So I really, really liked that.
0: Yeah. I I really like for me like that it was maybe Maudlin or Mildred but I did really enjoy the scene sort of towards the end where they bring Edith out and put her in the ship and the son kind of narrates his sci fi story and they kind of have like, almost a recreation of the bear. I mean, it's like not a recreation, but they're like giving her a sort of Viking funeral in a sense sort of describes like the queen flying off on her spaceship. And that, I mean, that was like tugging at my at my tear ducts. For sure. Yeah, but then, but like part of, I think I was watching Tracy and she was kind of like, what are you doing to the site? What are you just like walking around there? Like, what's going on?
1: <laughs> yeah, my I was going to say Go my favorite it. part about that scene with uh, Robert, I think was his yeah. son's name, mm-hmm. is, uh, I think it's a subtle nod to the fact that a lot of these burials are actually being recognized that they were for women who were also mm-hmm. warriors because there's this old tradition of Anytime you get a burial that has a sword and shield in it, they they yep. what if you a can, dude. Yeah, they would assume it was. A, <laughs> and it's really easy to sex a skeleton. Like I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it you don't need DNA analysis to like figure out if it was male or female most of the time. Mm. So I loved his story, his narration at the end there of just imagining the fact that this could be for a woman because archaeologists did not do that for a long time. <laughs>
0: yeah. And the <laughs> counter, it's like, if you find a comb in it, like it's, or a hairbrush or a mirror or something like that, it would have. Yeah. Exactly. Even though like it's, it's not unreasonable for someone to be buried with a sword, you know, to be buried with a comb or a sword or whatever. But, uh, but let's actually talk about like, I don't, cause I had, I, I've heard of the Sutton Who, the site that, that this is, but, but I also, I have a tendency to confuse it with a lot of sort of similar digs like i think there was a viking ship in like sweden or norway it's kind of similar and then there's other it seems like like every every couple of years in england like a farmer kind of like digs like is plowing his field and he <laughs> digs up like a coin hoard or like a you know a bunch of swords or something like that but yeah we, let's, we can let's talk about a like Sutton Hoo proper like what is what's the deal with the site and like why was it such a big deal
2: i think the yeah i think today we don't really realize how big of a deal it was but like the sutton hoo um helmet like that mm-hmm. image is on like so many history books and is so- Editions
0: of Beowulf. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> it's on so many different things that we really don't think about where it came from. And this is obviously like a little bit out, I would say a lot of it out of my like expertise range, but it's such a huge piece of history because it sort of proved how far reaching a lot of trade routes could go because of all the various materials that were found inside these mounds. Mm -hmm. And I think there was like Byzantine gold in that mound that they dug up. All of that gold came from really far away. And so I remember what was the the Dick archaeology guy who came in from the Oh uh, Phillips. CW CW Phillips. Yeah. Yeah. He at one point says like they had culture or something Stupid yeah, like he kind that. of like
0: sums it up in like a single speech where he's like, oh, it's a Merovingian <laughs> Tremesis. I, I turned on the subtitles because I was watching. I'm like, did you say Merovingian? I had to like rewind and put on the subtitles. <laughs> it's a Merovingian Tremesis, which means that, you know, this, this dates this to like the sixth century, which... Otherwise, is, is we have nothing, basically. We're not nothing, but we have like next to nothing from that sort of period in history.
2: And so, yeah, the assumption, yeah, is like when you have nothing, you sort of think, mm-hmm. oh, backwater, like stupid. There's all these really bad connotations that you can throw at.
0: Everyone's just rolling around in mud huts or whatever. Yeah,
2: exactly. And so uh, just the fact that I guess you give more attention when you think things are quote unquote, cultured, which I think is a terrible way to put that it's, it's obvious that they were far ranging traders or that they could get material from very far away. They had connections to people very far away. And so I hate the word cultured, but experienced, I guess, uh, this group of people who lived here. And so it sort of sheds more of a light onto something that had previously been called a backwater.
1: Yeah. Um, Kind of going off what Elijah was saying with especially that quote by Phillips, it you kind of need to understand where the field of archaeology was in that moment to really understand why he was so excited. It's like these weren't just some marauding pirates. It's like they had they had money, they had culture. Like I like it's like, oh yeah, they were rich on top of everything else. So Sutton Who is a seventh-century Anglo-Saxon burial ship, all of those mounds. But the time it's being dug in 1939, this is kind of when we're at the height of what we call cultural historical archaeology. And at that time, there's a lot of emphasis on defining historical societies into these distinct ethnic and cultural groupings according to their material culture. But at the same time, that was influenced by kind of nationalist political agendas. So if you are growing up in England, you know about Sutton Hoo, you learned about it in elementary school because that is like your first instance of like, oh, we were this cultured such a long mm-hmm. time ago. Greece has kind of the same thing where the Athenian Acropolis was occupied for thousands of years. But if you visit today, you will see the acropolis of the fifth century BCE because that's when democracy was born that's when Athens Mm -hmm. was on top and that is the history they want to highlight as like their golden age almost and Sutton who kind of really fit into this of like an early golden age to legitimize Britain as an international power going to this far back date.
0: Yeah, well, this reminds me, I mean, it's it, like the, the most sort of like strongest example is Mussolini and like fascist Italy had this whole, I mean, they built the museum of Roman civilization that's designed in this like fascist, it's, you know, fascist architecture, but it's evocative of classical sort of Ro- Greco-Roman architecture. The whole, when you go to Rome today, that the with the Via Forum imperiale, the, the sort of big road, there was an act, you know, that goes up to the Colosseum with this vista, and then they actively decided, like, we're going to dig down to I think it was like first or, or second century, like Augustine era forum, something like that. And they left all, all the temples standing now. They're all like fourth century or later, right? Yeah. But, but this idea of like, we're going to pick a moment that when we were sort of when when our sort of cultural legacy or as we're construing it was, you know, having its, having its moment and kind of say like, this is why we deserve to be. Empire or whatever, and like tons of, of of nations and regimes. You know, I'm thinking very odd, like 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 Russian. Um, our our colleague Susan mm-hmm. is very into like the Russian search for various sort of cultural, historical legitimacy, for lack of a better word. Yeah, it's because it, it plays into like nationalistic kind of.
1: Well, even Washington D.C. That's all mm-hmm. Greco-Roman architecture with mm-hmm. like, but it's like, but we need to make it American, so corn. will be a decorative feature yeah
0: yeah
2: i do think it's interesting though that this story is about british people sort of excavating basically like british history and i wonder how different the story would be if it had that very imperialist bent of british people excavating egyptian history I was
0: I I this I had to note it, like exactly to this point cuz like the difference of excavating in a place like England versus say Egypt was actually or or Greece or yeah. Greece at the time or or wherever or North America.
2: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah cuz I feel like there's they have such a connection and it's kind of wonderful to see that connection of the people in the film to literally their the history that's in their own backyard and like Edith pretty owned the land that these were on so there was no like Trespassing or necessarily like stealing happening. And I do think that it would have been a much more problematic story to tell something happening in Greece in the 30s or uh, even at Pompeii. Mm-hmm. Like the early excavations in Pompeii were a little bit dicey. And especially in Egypt when they were just, you know, are taken stuff out by the shipful. Even mm-hmm. earlier, Napoleon was taken out stuff by the shipful. So <laughs> I yeah. yeah, I think that sort of cut out something that could have been really problematic in the story, <laughs> for better or worse, <laughs> I guess.
1: I I yeah. love I love though how in the end, so like Hitler is literally name dropped in this movie, and you have that tension of like World War II looming in the background, but like the true villain of this entire movie is the British Museum, like <laughs> at the <all laughs> time. I'm so mad at the British Museum, even though like for once it's like, but this is actually like British cultural history. And you know, Edith's decision at the very end to dedicate like to give all of the Mm -hmm. artifacts to the British Museum. The
0: largest gift at the time or something like that. The largest
1: gift. And her reasoning for it was she wanted the material to be seen by the most people possible she wanted it to be accessible and that's why she didn't go with the local museum she went with the british museum and this is kind of the argument the british museum has been trying to make for keeping the cultural heritage of yeah
0: acropolis i should say actually the Uh, acropolis
1: marbles the rosetta uh, stone mm -hmm. african mm -hmm. artifacts and their idea is like and i've been to the british museum it's free you can go in uh and like, maybe, maybe you could keep that argument and then Brexit happens. So they're like, there is no legitimate reason why the British Museum should get to hold on to all of this material culture, especially like, we really should revisit this issue because the ability to put everything online and do virtual exhibits, like mm-hmm. accessibility is no longer the issue we really should be looking into. Where does this material rightfully belong? Yeah. For sure.
0: Yeah, that was one of my, I think, first, like when I I took sort of like an, an, like for like a bit, or like a sort of in my like introduction to like archaeology and and cultural history. I think we were specifically talking about a site in Sicily, I think that sort of prompted this. But yeah, that's a, that's a, I mean, you two know more obviously about this or more sort of hands on, but like when you, when you have a site, you know, do you, do you do you set it? Do you set it up? Set up, say, a museum right there. Do you take everything out to sort of a place like the British Museum or the Met in New York, which I also had. That's I spent a lot of time going to the Met and like thinking of like Temple of Dender and just like they, they have so much Egyptology. There's a whole snafu, I think, with the Met, and a, they have like an Etruscan chariot that mm-hmm. uh, the provenance of that one is yep. is I think a little dicey. And yeah, and like that argument gets wheeled out constantly. It's like, well, like should we take it? We should take it to the place where the most people are going to see it and appreciate it, or? But then there's there's also like I think like local consideration. Like if you have a very prominent site, that could do a lot for a local community. Just in the, just I mean, double edged sword too. If you want, like maybe you don't want to bring international tourists to your your little village or whatever but
1: for a lot of these places that's like archaeology is commercialized and i would rather it be commercialized in a way that it does bring you know local income to local communities so so the site that elijah and i met at ganjavecchio the nearby town of ganji has its own museum all of the artifacts, they never come to the United States. They stay local and they get presented in that museum space and they get international visitors, which is really, cause they're also, this is the same town that is one of the same towns that is selling housing for one Euro because <laughs> yeah, I so that. many yeah. people are leaving that they Mm -hmm. are desperate to get people to come and stay and spend money. So if we want archaeology to actually continue to prosper, I think it's really important that we keep artifacts local to where they come from so that more resources, more income and visitors go to where the artifacts are. Otherwise only huge universities with tons of money and museums are going to have control over these sites and what. People get to see in the end. Yeah, yeah, I agree.
0: Yeah, and then there's also another uh, this actually this movie I think probably yeah I think intentionally I would say, but there's like another element that is you mentioned the the specter of World War II, and then when they were debating, sort of, they had that argument about which you know does it go to Ipswich, does it go to London, and then and because you kind of I, I like I got the sense for a while that Edith Perry or pretty excuse me not Perry was considering leaning more towards the local museum because she says somebody the effect of like well isn't London about to get blitzed
2: yeah Mm -hmm.
0: and and the element of some of like things like this happens all the time uh, particularly in in parts of the mediterranean where sort of conflict and war you know uh, arises and that adds this other wrench into that equation of a site like i'm thinking of palmyra is Mm -hmm. like probably the most famous recent example yeah yeah where it's you know local turmoil and conflict like puts these sites at risk
1: yeah even olympia their museum site i think they lost so many resources due to the economic difficulties of that country that they only had one security guard on duty and mm-hmm. the museum got sacked. And that was mm-hmm. a local well-known site and museum, but the local resources aren't there always to protect these things.
0: Yeah. I mean, famously yeah. it's, it's yeah, old, old news, but yeah, it's famously the, the Parthenon, you know, was blown up by because they were storing gunpowder in it. <laughs> but actually, that leads me to another uh, question I had because one of the first, like right in the beginning, where there, he's debating, Basil Brown is sort of debating which mound to dig into. He says, "Well, there's a little depression in this mound because she's like she like let's start like you think we should start with the big one." He's like, "Well, it looks like somebody already dug here, so I suspect that grave robbers came through. <laughs> so let's dig at this other mound because like if there's anything good in this first mound, then." They might have already gotten to it. So yeah, it's like the, the other reality of digging is is looting. Because I mean, for in many times, these places have been left pretty much just unguarded. They're just hanging out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people like, and, and like grave robbing is like how we find, I'm thinking of like Pompeii, which like yep. the first couple decades mm-hmm. of Pompeii was just people digging down and, and finding the best stuff and then tossing the rest and then selling it to like the Bourbon Kings of Spain or whatever.
2: Yeah, and I think people may not realize how big of a problem it still is. It sort of sounds like one of those old school, otherworldly, or even like Indiana Jonesy kind of things. But the black market for things like ancient coins is like very, very much alive and well, and doing a lot of damage to sites that aren't super popular aren't like uh sort of near big touristy sites a lot of roman coins come out of places like bulgaria or other places in eastern europe that just don't have as much access or funding to actually dig through their whole site but people know those things are there and so you have people going in and just digging a hole and taking what they can and it ends up on ebay
1: Mm -hmm. Or, or Etsy, a, or Etsy, yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is wild. You can buy you can buy Roman glass earrings off of Etsy, and Whoa. it's not okay.
2: Yeah. So any yeah. any you buy a Roman coin, it is it is problematic. <laughs> Don't do it. Yeah,
0: I remember we we had a, a few years ago we had a guest lecture at UT, and she was like leading a project that had to do with the busts of at Palmyra. Like they have they had this big sort of like. What's the word like mausoleum? I guess, mm-hmm. and all these hundreds of of busts of of like local and Roman no- nobility, and and it was really interesting because like just even from the naming scheme and the, the cultural like talking about like cultural sort of synergy is the dumb word, but um, <laughs> there's a there's a better there's a better word I'm looking for, but the sort of yeah just cultural contact between like Roman and like Near Eastern, but then there's this whole like like market like for busts and and also correspondingly um. Copies, forgeries, that's the word I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And like how to spot a fake and things like that.
2: Which is Mm -hmm. really interesting.
1: (laughs) And taken to the extreme, you know, the conflict in Syria, ISIS was fully funding a lot of their military campaigns by looting ancient sites and selling them on the black market. So, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, again, just like the commercialization of archaeology, there's really positive ways to do it, but. The fact that people like to put a price on objects and have it for private collections makes it really, and we lose so much information about the past uh, every time an artifact is taken out of, out of the ground, out of context, which is the other reason I hate the British Museum, because if you go look <laughs> at their Roman stuff, I'll see a lamp and I'm like, oh, that's an exact copy of like a lamp we see at Vecchio. Where's it from? Maybe Naples. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There was a scene, I think, when they found one of the first, whatever it was they found. It was, I think it was, like, one of the first, like, jewelry pieces or something like that. Or maybe it was, like, a rivet. And somebody, I forget who who finds it first. But then they kind of pick it up and they're looking at it. And I was, I was kind of, like, tensing up and I was, I was grabbing Tracy next to me. I was like, write that down, write it down. Like, like don't just take it out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was actually one of the, that's one of the moments that actually, um, if you're an archaeologist, you're like, you kind of know that moment of like, I just found something really cool. And now that I've taken a picture and done a total station shot, I'm going to pick it up and run it over to the director of the day and be like, look at this cool thing I found. Like, exactly. mm-hmm. So every time he's going to the house being like, you should come see this. You should come see mm-hmm. this. I'm like, yeah, that that that's real. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: And like later you get like, I think like some good establishing shots where you see them like kind of brushing it away and, and being sort of very meticulous. Cause I, I don't like, I'm not sure actually the, I had a quick question about just like, the develop like when that kind of very systematic and kind of archaeology like begins and then like how it has changed or hasn't changed?
1: Um, that's harder to say, I think. I do know, like fun thing I, I researched about the movie beforehand was that for this movie, they actually consulted an archaeologist by the name of Roy Stevenson and they gave him like, carte blanche rights to interrupt filming if they were doing any kind of incorrect digging. So (laughs) I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And and like, that's what made it feel so authentic in a lot of ways in terms of, you know, when does it become systematic? I think a lot of that happens at Pompeii. Uh, Mm -hmm. Pompeii really starts off with a lot of looting, but then um, see if I remember. Uh, I I know,
0: I think I know what you're talking about, but his name is.
1: Fiorelli. I think it's like Fiorelli mm-hmm. is the he's the one who came up with the idea for like making plaster casts of the hollows for the human remains or they weren't really remains anymore, but um, <laughs> the, the,
0: the the echoes of people. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and so I think it was just a lot of that was individuals who like Basil who have been digging for a long time. They kind of developed their own methodology. And that is what's cool, like especially in the Middle East and Egypt, you definitely had these individuals who were always just kind of the hired work local work hands, but because that was a constant source of income, they became specialists in their own right and would eventually, if they got enough resources, they would lead their own digs. And so I Archaeology is still a lot of this. Like my small finds toolkit is a combination of like a trowel is used for construction. Um, My small Mm -hmm. finds kit is actually mostly tools that you would use for ceramics. Like actually. Like laying
0: brick or something like that. um, For like actually
1: like working on a pottery wheel. Uh, So uh, so I have tools like that. It's a pretty, in some ways it's really a makeshift field of like, all right, what Mm -hmm. works? Paintbrushes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, and that, that I had my other uh, one of my other comments was just like, we should talk about Basil Brown himself. Mm-hmm. And the idea because he, he I mean, they set him up that he's this kind of like, I don't want to say amateur, he's not an amateur, because this is his profession, like mm-hmm. he does it, but he's not like, a full time academic, like he's not PhD, or he doesn't have like a faculty position or anything like that, or a museum. He's just kind of this hired gun, for lack of a better word. But he, he I mean, he had quite a Bit of experience, I like was just tracking him down on Wikipedia, and that he, you know, he in his spare time he investigated sort of Suffolk area. He found using a compass and measurements, he uncovered eight medieval buildings and Roman settlements and, and ancient roads. So he wasn't like, you know, this wasn't like just some guy. Like he knew what he was about.
1: <laughs> yeah, and um I think that was also just a really good. Like this is an issue that still exists in archaeology today. Like those who have an academic degree and those mm-hmm. who are just involved in digs. Like so much of the labor is either local or students, but they somehow are not credited for not only the work, but they also offer insights, interpretation, especially if they're local.
0: Mm-hmm. There's also, I've heard creepy stories of, of you know, directors or, or doctors or whatever, just like straight up, plagiarizing from like say their grad students or or younger female colleagues things like that 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 definitely happens
1: yeah it's it's a weird old boys club and uh, the other another thing that got right in the movie was like all right we're done digging to the pub let's go drinking because <laughs> it really is kind of a it has this history of being kind of a fraternity of sorts so you have yeah yeah so if you're not part of the in crowd you get left out of a lot of the credit and everything
2: yeah so. mm-hmm. I saw that so much in poor Peggy <laughs> in the movie. Mm-hmm. Who was that? Lily James. That's right. Yeah. Um, when he, they just bring her in because, oh, she's light. So she won't like crush the, <laughs> the ship underneath yeah. her. And poor thing is like digging in a dress for like the first two scenes or something. It's like, oh, come on. This poor girl. Yeah,
0: she's one. Of, I mean, so obviously, like the movie takes like or the book it's based on, really. But then the the movie like takes some like liberties with the plot. Like I think it condenses the digging. It, it was actually two seasons, but they kind of make it one. Mm-hmm. Things like that. and like the, that's romantic subplot is you know right. purely just for for audience engagement. But yeah, because I think in real life, Peggy Piggott, she was actually not only was her husband like actually more close to her, like they have her seem like her husband's like 20 years older than her or something. But <laughs> they were like only like two or three years apart. But but she had already she had a degree. She had a couple degrees and had like pretty extensive experience. So she she was brought in on her credentials originally. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but that's also like
1: that was kind of my thought with Edith at the very beginning before you knew she was sick because she's like, Oh yeah. I, my dad had me come and dig up the apps of a a church, I think. And like, at the very beginning, I was like, why aren't you like in there with Basil digging stuff? Mm -hmm. I would be there in a heartbeat. And then you you learn she's sick, but it's women were present in the field at that time. So like having Peggy there and her being a real historical figure was, was really cool. And it was.
0: uh, I'm like blanking right now, but there's a whole kind of tribute in, uh damn this is a whole book um in like the american uh, school of classical studies in, in athens yeah uh where of the um sort of early like, in, on the ground level of like excavating at the agora were some very prominent women that were like instrumental in the the, the development and the reason the site looks the way it does mm-hmm. and then like true to form only it's only sort of in recent years where many of them are sort of getting sort of their due credit.
1: Yeah, a really good site to learn about um, women's contributions to archaeology is called the Trowel Blazers. So if you ever want to learn more about women in archaeology and maybe in some other anthropology fields as well, like bioarchaeology, like mm-hmm. that's, that's a great place to start. And uh, the other shout out and like my became my personal like favorite character almost was May, uh, the wife of Basil, because she was the <laughs> ultimate supportive archeologist partner. Uh, yeah. And her, like their relationship I thought was gonna start off so poorly because like, it's like, you didn't read my letters. You didn't know it was coming. I'm like, oh, this was gonna be so awkward the whole time. But it was like, mm-hmm. no, she, she's the one who's like, I know you're doing what you love. Sometimes I have to remind you why you're, you know, why are we living mm-hmm. on rent? <laughs> your terrible peg yeah she,
0: she like she kind of confounded me at first as as sort of a character I they didn't quite know what to make of like what direction it was like in contrast with peggy like the minute we see peggy's husband with his his colleague we kind of like i see what's up yeah uh but then with may like i was like i didn't know where that was going because it was like is he just this like bad husband But then she really comes through in in ways where she's the one that she's the one that convinces them to go back. And it's kind of she's like, yeah, like you said, like very, very supportive.
1: And I I think that's what's the funny thing about our field. I know Elijah can speak to this, too, where like we leave our partners for months at a time for other parts of the world. And, you know, that's not always possible without a supportive partner who's, first of all, okay with you, globe trotting. Yeah. Being mm-hmm. able to financially support you and so, or like, you know, pay the rent while you're gone and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. So, um, it started off awkward, but it was also just like a really clear reminder of like, it does take a special person to mm-hmm. be supportive of this field. You're like, it is pretty common, like, either both partners are archaeologists themselves working in the field together, or one just is very supportive about what you do. <laughs> it's true.
0: It, my outsider impression is that a lot of archaeologists meet their partners at these digs i know of at least more than a few where that was the case yes deny if this is wrong but it does ha- it becomes a little bit of like the love boat sometimes oh yeah um, it's
2: summer yeah. camp yeah it's summer camp yeah summer love yeah summer fling
0: yeah I, I guess yeah you take a bunch of young attractive people you put them in the in the hot weather and then you, you go to the bars afterwards it's like
1: exactly. it's,
0: it's, e- it's easy math um
1: it is like the crucible of um human relationships any kind of excavation season <laughs> because you'll either come out loving people or absolutely hating yeah. their guts so like <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I thought it was really it's like you definitely got that and then the person you absolutely name some hated, names
0: no i'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> I hated Phillips phillips in the movie is like yep. you are that guy that like yeah. everyone hates but has to put up with because what other mm-hmm. choice is there yep yep
0: <laughs> my i also my other like i I've, listeners and, and both of you of course already knows i'm not an archaeologist i'm sort of a more there i'm too precious um but uh, that that like in my just like the way i describe it particularly like the field of classics where it tends to have a sort of divide between sort of the literary people and the material culture people, a bit of a false dichotomy, but that's neither here nor there, or I think it is. But uh, is that like... It's almost the way I describe it sometimes is that it's like if you see scrubs and they have like the medical doctors and the surgeons and the surgeons are like the jocks on <laughs> campus and then the medical doctors are like these dweebs. It's kind of like that in classics where it's like yep. the, the literature people are like the ones like we need to wear eye protectors when we eat grapefruit. And then, <laughs> then the archeologists are kind of these much more, they're just much more gregarious. Again, I'm speaking in hugely general terms. I've met some some weirdos and, and on both sides, but.
2: <laughs> I
1: have a particular story story from a a dig in Greece um, that I was at on the island of Crete. And there was one student there who was a philologist. And Mm -hmm. we have, so we had to like get on trucks to go up to this mountaintop and then hike the rest of the way of the dig. So we had to bring, we had to carry the water we were going to use for the day with us. And so we had these giant jugs. And then some of us would figure out like we could get plastic water bottles and freeze them in our little hotel fridges overnight. Mm -hmm. So where it's at the end of the day, this philologist guy who's kind of weird has a, a jug of hot water because it's been sitting in the sun all day. And one of my trench mates, Alex, has just a chunk of ice in his bottle. And he asked this kid, this kid, it's like, hey, why don't you pour your water into my jug? And that way we can share it. So it's like cold water. And mm-hmm. this guy just looked at him and w- literally went eh, germs. And I'm like, you literally have been digging in dirt all day with duck poop and you're worried about germs? He's,
0: maybe he, he saw he saw COVID-19 before any of us. No, yeah,
1: sure. yes. In modern times, I would buy it. But in sure. 2012, uh-uh. yeah. I'm like, what? Uh, Whoa, that's yeah, that's
0: that true. The tracks.
2: <laughs> yeah, I loved um, mm. the scenes of Basil just, like, washing his hands. And it's, like, all this mm-hmm. dirt is just sort of coming off of him. And it's, like, in his fingernails. And I'm, like, yep, that's that's accurate. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Or the, the scene where, it, where it, the, the wall collapses on him and he's, like, yep. like buried alive, basically. That uh-huh. has
2: happened to me on a much okay. less scary scale. The first time I worked in the field, I was in the Netherlands. We were digging up medieval garbage pits and so they're like you know they look like a well it's ringed in brick and we sort of dig down and it's garbage so it's our favorite thing ever Archaeologists love ancient garbage mm-hmm. and it was a construction site because we were in the middle of a city so we all had to have like hard hats and steel toed boots and all that stuff and the side of the wall of the pit that I was in collapsed and it like filled it all the way up to the top of my thighs and so I wasn't covered or buried alive yeah like you could breathe I could breathe but But it was kind of a scary moment and I had bruises on my legs and they had to dig me out like it if it had been any higher I think it would have probably hurt a lot more but Mm -hmm. so yeah that's why we do things like only dig holes to certain depths and till you have like a step out uh why you have to wear hard hats in certain situations (laughs) why you have to wear steel toed boots in certain situations yeah we have we have safety precautions now.
1: <laughs> but for yeah, good reason. I was wondering, because it's like, that happened. And I was just like, that has never happened to me. That is not... A- he did have a
0: precariously high dirt wall. It, that, it, I mean, they did. He, I feel like he should have known better, but...
1: And apparently that was added to the movie. It was either added to the movie or the book. Like, it didn't actually happen at Sutton Who. Not to say, like, mm. obviously, collapses can happen. But, like, it hadn't happened there. And they, they felt like it... I mean, to be fair... Uh, digging, if you watch digging happening, hour by hour, not a lot is happening. It's not thrilling. So having an entire wall collapse <laughs> yeah. down, you're like, <gasps> drama, danger.
0: They also needed like some kind of like, it, it's sort of like a narrative function too, because like it was when the collapse happens, that's when he realizes, I forget exactly the logic, but that's when he realizes that he should be digging the first bound,
1: right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I forget why though. Yeah.
1: I think it's, It's actually tied to that first board they found because what that board actually was, it wasn't wood. Like they originally thought it was compacted sand that had taken on the mold of the wood. And so Mm. that changed his idea of the dates for the mounds to push it back to the Anglo-Saxon period. Mm -hmm. And with that consideration, knowing how old the mounds could be, that's why he wanted to revisit the other one. Because like the shape...
2: Um, mm-hmm. was probably different and so maybe the robbers hadn't hit mm. the center
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah because yeah, like the actual ship is really more like a footprint of a ship because it was like they buried the ship yep. and then the the wood disintegrated over time but the sand was compacted and and chemically changed it enough that when they excavated it and all like the any like metal like rivets and stuff were still there mm-hmm. so like they had basically a perfect outline of the ship and they could see where the planks were and the rivets and all that stuff
1: yeah which
2: is pretty cool it is really cool
1: <laughs> <laughs> which is like the the most anxiety i had for that entire film was not when the wall collapsed on him because like to me it's like ah, i mean yeah it's scary but it's like that doesn't seem realistic to me every time it was downpouring rain Yes, because mm. I've yep. had that happen to a site where you have to bucket it out and there was like human remains exposed and you're like, <gasps> yep.
0: no. I, w- I had a note that I wrote to myself that it just seems like like, like excavating in England must be a nightmare because it just rains once a day or you know, at least <laughs> once a day. Yes. <laughs> you know, whereas like if you're excavating in like, you know, North Africa or the Middle East or a place like that or even like Greece and Italy, like in the summer, it's pretty dry mm-hmm. usually. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah, I I actually had my, I had students ask me once, it's like, what kind of conditions would I want to dig in? Because we were talking about how organic materials can be preserved in either really arid or really waterlogged conditions. And I was just like, mm-hmm. all I know is I do not want to dig in mud. That sounds miserable. And I want yeah, nothing sure. to do with it. So I, I imagine that's a lot of what digging that sun who was like. So yeah, yeah.
2: I know, at least for places like In Iowa, you like if it's too muddy, you don't dig. Like if it's Mm -hmm. raining and still waterlogged, like you just can't, like you can't get the right precision that you need. You can't even move that amount of dirt that's weighted down with water. And so it just holds up even more time. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: So, yeah, I can't imagine digging through mud.
1: It, it, it's a weird balance that archaeologists have to deal with because most projects are on a limited timeline because you only have so much money and resources available to you. So yeah, if it rains and it happens rarely in Sicily, but if it rains, we kind of have to shut down for a day and we losing a day of digging is like heartbreaking because yeah. it, it just you you might not get to it. I think our last season at Vecchio, we got to a dog burial. Uh, on the like second to last day of the dig, and it's like we literally just have to like rebury it now because there's no mm-hmm. time to to do this. That's
0: also like like the the curse. Like you always find the coolest thing on the like third to last day, right? Yep. Oh
2: yeah, <laughs> yep. yep, And the the whole backfilling scene as the credits were about mm-hmm. to roll, it like felt that deep in my soul.
1: <laughs> I hate backfill day. It's it Such works. a pain.
2: <laughs> I am curious though colin as a non-archaeologist do you think you have like as many feelings about this movie did you enjoy this movie as much as we did
0: i enjoyed it like as on a movie level like purely for like a narrative like emotional like it 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 hit all of like it had a plot that i followed and it had characters that i was invested in and like everything checked off (laughs) i don't have that same kind of like what's the word i'm looking for like connection like like cuz i have not sort of dug in like i like i've been to archaeological sites and i'm like aware of the general sense but it's all secondhand but yeah, like like it, i mean it, it didn't make me want to i will say like I, um, I had a moment, this is the story. I, I had a moment where I like, maybe I missed my true calling. Cause when I was in Greece and they took us down to the Agora basement and they have where they keep like, and I'm not exaggerating. They have exactly one gajillion vases down there. <laughs> That's just like, it's so many that we don't even know what to do with them. Cause it's just like, here's another red figure where the other, we have like 800 of these already. So like they have this massive storage, but they also have a huge Deposit and they're constantly digging it more of just like ostraca and like pot shards. Mm-hmm. And, but they sat us, they sat me down at like this table and they gave me like more or less like some guides and a, like a bucket full of pot shards. And I sat there and I joined for like an hour. And I was like, maybe I missed my true calling because like <laughs> I, it was some kind of like my little like years of Legos paid off. And my, like, I was like, just sit me down here with like some music and a podcast and I could do this all day. Like, no, like there's a cert, there's a great deal of satisfaction I get from just like making joins and then like, ha, it's a pot. And then looking at, looking at it against the, the guide. I mean, like, late fourth century or something <laughs> and then I read the director she was like you're pretty good at this and I was like yes I am but I've already done my prospectus so I can't change my dissertation now <laughs> But, like, I wonder sometimes if maybe I like, because there's a a certain, like, I love process. Like, have you ever seen me pack the dishwasher? I'm a very, like, precise and particular person, so there's, like, a certain element of it, like, 100% appeals to me.
1: Yeah, the the Um, tedious work that never is going to make it onto a film of just uh, (laughs) piecing together a piece of pot or counting bricks. Yeah, Mm -hmm. counting (laughs) bricks. The color, figuring out the color of the soil. Um, Mm -hmm. I will say that was the other cool thing about Basil as a character when he talks about like, I don't know if I agree with the whole, the nose is the most important, like yeah body part of an archeologist. <laughs> what, <laughs> what is
0: the most important organ an archeologist can possess?
1: <laughs> I, I definitely, I definitely think of a thing like reading the dirt. Like if you spend a lot of time in the field, you learn, especially using your child. I think feeling is, mm-hmm. is a really significant part of it where yeah you just start to see and feel soil changes like you can you can almost feel the change happening um and it's like that means a a whole new time period or a new process is you know it's an added layer to the story so like that that sense of like knowing all the soils of Suffolk and like where Mm -hmm. they came from like that is a really that is a real thing when you've spent so much time with dirt, I imagine some geologists could probably really speak to this, too, of really having a sense of place and time.
0: They also, they set this up, too, because, like, this is, I think, maybe few people, particularly now, or my, in my experience, like, a lot of archaeologists tend, not necessarily jet set, but, like, you travel and move and, and are sort of relocated in different contexts. But, like, he literally was tooling around Suffolk, like, just Suffolk. For however many, you know, for decades it seemed like, and he was like an expert, and like just to have that kind of time to just like know one sort of sliver of the world, but like know it so intimately the way he did.
2: Yeah. And I think that's why like local archaeologists and local, even just like excavators are so important because, yeah, if you are new to a site and you don't necessarily know the soil as well. Um, you might be able to say, okay, I know there's a change happening here, but I'm not sure where, which like direction it's going, or I'm not sure where to follow it. The excavators will absolutely be like, oh, well, that probably goes this way, or like I know what's happening here, and they are definitely the voices of reason in moments like that.
1: Yeah, I the the funny thing is, is I've I've dug in a few different places, and you, once you become an academic, like they start asking, it's like, what's your research specialty? And I'm always like. I specialize in parcel nineteen of Ganjaveh Sicily, of this particular date and time. Please don't ask me about any other site in extensive detail because <laughs> it, it, until I've spent like four seasons digging it, I don't know for sure.
0: So this maybe might be a, my or like my send off question to you too, which is yeah, I guess two questions I, I just thought of. One is favorite place you've ever dug, and then two place you would most like to dig if, you know, given unlimited time and resources and no global pandemic or whatever?
2: Oh my god, this is such a hard question.
1: Christy, do you have anything I'm still thinking? <laughs> I mean, I love Ganjavecchio a lot, but I think my favorite place I ever dug was at uh, Azoria in Crete. Just because the view was breathtaking, You're we're digging a site on top of a hill not too far from the coastline, so you can see The mediterranean sea just off in the distance and like i had terrible trenches like the hellenistic (laughs) people like literally took out everything that existed before it so we'd get through the hellenistic floor and then there was nothing left but in terms of like the experience of being somewhere and working like that was really cool Like I said, I didn't really get to find anything, but I think the season I was there, they found the oldest imported marble that had been found on the island at that point in time. So yeah, it was was cool. It was a really great experience. And then for my bucket list, I do have a bucket list. I would love to dig at one of the sites mentioned in the Iliad. So either Hisserlik, Troy in Turkey, or go to Mycenae because I've had some friends to get Mycenae. That looks really. Nice, fun.
0: That would be scene would be dope. That
1: would be uh, so dope. I've been there.
0: It's it, it's 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 real cool. There's a lot of like just funky stuff going on. Get into like the tomb. The tombs were my. Fa- I mean, like the, the, oh, the fort tombs. and everything is so cool. But like the tombs were my favorite. It's okay. very like. What about you, Eli? What do you got? I think. And I have a follow up question, which is coolest thing you've ever found. But
2: okay, I think I loved working at uh, Himera in Sicily. We didn't technically dig there. We were doing bioarchaeological analysis of human remains from the huge rescue excavations that they were doing as they were building a new um, railway. And I think it would be so cool to actually be able to dig the town at Himera because they haven't done huge excavations there at least on like the, the top of the plateau. It has like an upper city and a lower city and the lower cities where all the cemeteries were. And then that is also right on the Mediterranean Sea. It's on the north coast of Sicily. And I would love to be able to sort of dig the actual city and see the places where all of these people lived and existed. All these people that I've sort of, you know, encountered by analyzing their remains. So I think that would be crazy awesome. I don't know if I have the
1: coolest thing I've ever found.
0: I mean, Christy said dog dog burial. That yeah. sounds pretty cool.
1: Archaeologists have a really hard time with this question. I I will say that the one thing that when I find it that always feels really amazing is when you get a piece of pottery that has someone's fingerprint on it. Like, yeah. that to me is such an amazing moment because like that person, you'll there'll never be a written history about that person. But there's such a tangible piece of evidence that they lived and produced things that still exist in the world today. And like kind of immortality in a nutshell. Um, so every time I see a fingerprint.
0: That's like the theme of this movie. That's mm-hmm. like, we've come full circle.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so
2: true. Yeah. I like that too. That's pretty cool. All
0: right. Well, unless you guys have, we're, we're at, we're a little over an hour, which is, is our usual sort of time. Mm-hmm. Unless you guys have any f- parting thoughts
2: I'm glad we could do like a new movie. This was fun
1: to talk about.
0: Yeah. And uh, yeah. And Christy for, for everyone, um, if people are listening, where can they find you on the internet, the interwebs?
1: Ooh. um, So that's a good question. I should have a, technically I am on Twitter and on Instagram, I think under the handles Vogue Archaeology or Professor Vogue Archaeology. I'm also on the University of Lynchburg website as part of their faculty but if I'm on here again sometime, I will have a clearer answer on. This no, for
0: day. sure. I definitely want to have you back at some point in the future to talk about Hades. Yeah, yeah. That'd be and, and Andy too. That'd be great. For
1: sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right.
2: Yeah. Well,
0: thank you so much. I this was one I might actually front load. We have I have an episode like from Quiladas that I haven't edited yet, but I might actually fast track this one and do this one first because I think the Quiladas one I haven't really listened to it, but it's a little. It
2: blah. was a mess. But this one's gonna be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, this one's this one's going to be good. So I might front load this one. But anyway, but yeah, no, thank you so much for having you. We definitely want to have you back. This has been great. Yay. I think this is going to be yeah. one of our better episodes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I had a great time. Yeah.
2: yeah. Wait, do we need to do any sort of sign off, or are we could?
0: Oh, we do. Yeah, yeah. So, so we. I, I'm gonna have to edit all around this, but, but yeah, thank you again, <laughs> Dr. Christy Vogler. This is fantastic, and I, you will be a repeat guest. That is a for sure. Yeah, so.
1: I'm excited. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.
1: Buddy. Bye.